And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. That's right, it's Wednesday as we uh, grind through this first week of August, heading into the heat of summer as it just bears down in Houston and Texas in general. If you're if you're up north where it's a little cooler, stay there. Um, it's just really hot here. Um, anyway, the couple of things that we've got to go through today, uh, talking a little bit about the economy um, as you know, we talk about Fed rate hikes and talk about potential recession. Now, you, you, you're going to hear it here first. We actually said this yesterday. Very likely, the first two quarters of negative economic growth may not be a recession, right? Um, and the reason for that is that, uh, again, a couple of things here. We had some, you know, this money, this money that was supplied to the economy that's been running out. Here's my point. Very well could be a recession, right? But there's a possibility that we could see some positive economic growth in the third or fourth quarter of this year, right? And this is simply because things have kind of gotten so dire so quickly, you tend to get a little bit of a rebound in activity, just kind of the normalcy of things. You know, people pull back, but they actually need some things. So, you know, they kind of save up a little bit of cash to go out and they buy some stuff. So you get a little bit of activity. And what that would, that, and that would not be abnormal, right? So we have a little bit of economic growth here that's, that's a bit negative. Um, one or two quarters of positive growth. And then because of Fed rate hikes, et cetera, you get into your real recession in 2023. Now, Fed, Bull, uh, uh, Fed Chairman Bullard, sorry, not Fed Chairman, I apologize. One of the Fed presidents, Bullard, he has uh, been kind of all over the media last day or so, and, and we'll be on some more today talking about how the Fed is going to engineer a soft landing, even though they're going to be hiking rates very aggressively, right, to combat inflation. I'm going to combat inflation, but we're going to just magically glide this economy down to a very soft landing. No negative growth. It's all going to be just fine. And that's, you know, certainly possible. It's never happened before um, with the Fed since the 1960s. But, you know, there's always a first time for everything. So we don't want to completely rule out the possibility. However, the reason that we, you could see a little bit of positive growth maybe in the third, fourth, uh, third or fourth quarter, and again, this is going to get everybody all excited, right? Fed engineered soft landing. Uh, the president's going to get to crow that, hey, see, I told you it wasn't a recession, those type of things. That's, gonna, that's a possibility because it takes about nine months for rate hikes to actually work their way into the economy. Uh, that's where it begins to actually impact households to a large degree. So that means that the first rate hike that we had back in March won't show up until the end of this year. The more aggressive Fed rate hikes from the last two meetings at 75 basis points a clip, that won't show up until the middle of next year. So as you start pushing these dates out for this contraction in economic activity, the real recession is likely not here yet. It will be next year very early, probably first quarter of next year, you'll start to actually start to see the impacts of a recession. Uh, consumer spending has been contracting. Now we're starting to see the early evidence of recessionary activity by companies starting to lay off employees. Robinhood, which is a company that should have never been public to start with, 
is now announcing another set of layoffs. They already laid off 9% of their workforce. Now they're going to lay off 23% of their workforce. So they've now laid off more than a third of their workforce um, as their activity slows down. Trading, investing, etc. all slowing down fairly sharply for Robinhood. Again, not surprising after they pretty much ticked off all the millennials that use <laughs> their app. But, you know, that's that's one problem in and of itself. Now, honestly, Citadel, like I said, should uh, sorry, uh, Robinhood should have never been public. It should have just been bought by Citadel to start with, since that's who makes all the markets for them. And I'm sure that's probably still going to happen at some point. You'll see an acquisition of Robinhood at some very low cost, but. It's not just Robinhood, right? We're starting to see this now from other companies. Well, Amazon just announced a 100,000 employee reduction. Importantly, job openings. Remember these magical job openings that we had? Two job openings for every individual. If you wanted a job, all you had to do was just throw your shoe out there and you could get a job, right? It's just magically we had all these job openings. Now, all of a sudden, those are starting to drop fairly, go away fairly rapidly. And as we've talked about before, and a lot of high turnover businesses, they just leave those job openings out there. Even though they're fully staffed, they leave the job opening out there because, again, they've got such high turnover, they're always needing new applicants coming in. So always reviewing opportunities as they come in and as needs show up. But again, now we're starting to even see those applicants being pulled, those job openings being pulled off you know, kind of the, the analysis roles as companies start to tailor back, start talking about hiring, hiring freezes. And again, we go through the, through the process of, the, of, the, of an economic slowdown. You go from hiring employees as fast as you can to a hiring freeze. And then you start laying off employees once you realize you have too many workers. We, well, we've gone through that. We saw the hiring freezes. And so people just said, hey, we're not going to hire any more employees right now but we're not gonna fire anybody either. Now we're getting to the layoffs, then we get into the permanent terminations. So again, those, that's the cycle we're going through. And a lot of that's not gonna show up until later this year, first of next year, as we start to work through this kind of economic slowdown that we're having in the economy. Again, this, the, the speed of all this will depend on how aggressive the Fed continues to hike rates. And again, you know, as we talked about in this past weekend's newsletter, Jim Cramer saying, hey, you know what, your window for buying stocks is about to close because when the Fed pivots, you want to be long stocks. That's not really true. Um, when the Fed stops hiking interest rates, generally that's about where the recession technically starts and markets are declining. So again, not particularly the place that you want to be buying stocks is when the Fed's pivoting because when you really want to start buying stocks is when they start aggressively cutting rates. That's where you're, you know, the market's going to be bottoming. That's where you're going to start to see the real kind of blowout in equities. And importantly, as we've said before, um, when you get to the point of wanting to buy equities, you're not going to want to buy equities because it's going to seem to be the most dire time in the markets. And we just haven't had that. I mean, you know, the markets are down this year um, about 15, 16%, not dramatic at all. And again, you would look at consumer confidence and think it's much worse, but a lot of that has to do with inflation and economic activity and jobs and those type of things. It's actually a lot more difficult below the surface for the most for most people um, than it really realizes. Wall Street Journal had an excellent article out this morning 
if you, if you have a, a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, it's called The Upper Middle Class is Being Squeezed. And, and what it shows is something that we've talked about here numerous times on the show is that if you look at all these ratios, right, debt to income ratios, um, you know, those type of things that are so, supposed to show a strong, you know, ha- we've got this really strong household. They can weather anything. If you look at household debt to income, it's, it's really low levels. Well, the problem is, and and this is what is brought out by this Wall Street Journal article and things that we've talked about and showed here before as well, um, but the people in the upper income levels, they have very little debt relative to their income and their net worth, and they have a lot of income, right? So they're not, they're not as impacted by inflation and these other things, but once you get below that top 20%, of those upper income earners, that bottom 80%, they have no savings. Average savings is 250 to $500. They've got a lot of debt they have to deal with. So again, inflation impacts that bottom 80% of the economy very much. And that is where a lot of your economic activity comes from because that bottom 80% spend the majority of their income. They have no excess left over at the end of the month. They are just spending everything they have just to make ends meet. You know, those in the upper 20%, they buy with a need, but they still have a lot of discretionary income as well. So, uh, again, it's a really great article in the Wall Street Journal Day called The Upper Income, uh, Upper Middle Class is Getting Squeezed. If you get a chance to read it, I put it out on Twitter this morning as well. So, if you go to at Lance Roberts on Twitter, um, you'll see the link to the article there as well. Um, all right, we're going to come back with Danny Ratliff. Got a lot of stuff to get into this morning. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. And uh, Brent Clanton driving our Length Challenge bus. So, as always, be careful. Never know when he's going to run up on a curb somewhere. He doesn't see that well, and he's kind of short, so he doesn't see over the steering wheel. I've got so. those long curb feelers. <laughs> you remember those back yeah, in the day? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny we go through these phases in life, and yeah, we had used to people driving around with these cars, and they had these big wires sticking out the side of the car so they could hear it when they got too close to the curb. It made your Buick look like a catfish. I know, right? Oh, I forgot. I'd forgotten all about that. That's yeah. hysterical. I don't get these long extensions coming out of the hubs. Have you seen those? Yeah, those, those are Mad Max, right? So if somebody gets too close <laughs> to you, you can shred their tires. So, right. you know, we're, we're, we're getting, and trust me, look, the way the world's going now, I think Mad Max is just, we're, we are just getting there. Yeah. In fact, there's a, there's a couple of companies that are now building trucks and, they they pop up every now and then you'll see them now they're not they're not cheap you know if you want to buy one of these trucks they're you know a quarter million dollars but they're fully armored bulletproof glass 
Um, you know, they've got alternative power systems built yeah. inside of them. You uh -huh. know, uh, one, I saw one truck the other day. It's actually got it's built like, um, you know, like a military vehicle. And it's got, you know, two sets of it's got two axles in the back. So you've got, you know, six, six tires in the back. You're two in the front, all wheel drive. I mean, he's like, I want one just to drive down the street. But is there a mount on top for a 50 cal? I would not be surprised mm. if it didn't have a pop open roof. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, you know, people are gearing up for this stuff. In fact, there is a house for sale. And, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it's in Utah. And it's one of the most expensive properties being sold right now. Um, it's on a bunch of acreage. It's selling, for, I think, for like 32 or $35 million. The house is 85% complete. And so you buy the house, and you can also buy the 2,000 yak that come with the house <laughs> because yak apparently are more mild-tempered than cows. Really? Yeah, and, and easier to raise. So there's like 2,000 yak on this property. And again, don't quote me on the numbers. I was just glancing through this article, hmm. but just and just our conversation reminded me of it. Um, and there's a another temporary house that you can buy as well to live in while you finish the house. But the house is fully self-concealed, off the grid. Got its own. It's got a year's worth of propane gas storage. So mm -hmm. I mean, pretty much you can go buy this house and be off the grid. You know, for a while until you need to buy propane. And what are the coordinates? I, I don't know. Somewhere in Utah. <laughs> somewhere in Utah. So it's going to be my next secret compound. Yeah. Yeah, because our house officially closed yesterday. So whew, the check came in the mail. Yeah. So yeah. So the, the search is, is on. Done. No, no. For the, for the new permanent. No, no. Robert's that won't be for, No, that won't be for five or six years. Danny, when can I retire? Never. So it's somewhere between five years and never yeah. will be the next house. Right yeah. now we're just renting. So. You gonna rent for five years? Yeah. Wait, look, house prices are I know. stupid. They're hey, gonna come down. It's ridiculous. Have you seen what's going on in California? Yeah, it's crazy. Like a thousand square foot house is selling for one point five million, and people are paying two hundred thousand dollars more than that. Mm -hmm. Just, just craziness. I'll just wait for California to become dust, and I'll go buy beachfront property. So, but it's crazy <laughs> when you think about the immigration from. From other states here, and specifically California. Oh, no. So where are these people coming from to buy those homes? Well, no, th this is even better. Mexico is now upset. Have you heard about this? No. You haven't heard about this, really. There's been like a million, 1.5 million people, a lot of them from California, have now moved to Mexico City um, because of cheaper rent, to get mm -hmm. cheaper rent. Yeah. Now Mexico City is getting very upset because <laughs> they don't like the impact on their culture. Because now all of a sudden, street corner <laughs> the street corner bodegas are now coffee shops and Pilates studios, and and entire neighborhoods have gone from Spanish to English speaking, and Mexico City is getting very upset with the immigration, and they want to stop it. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. Well, yeah, it's like now you know what we deal with. I have a friend that we worked together in radio for many many years, yeah. and she retired on Social Security and moved down there. She's living like yeah. a queen. Yes. It, the, yes, the cost of living mm -hmm. is, is very cheap, but going up because now all the people that's from California are driving the price of living up. And that's change. also another thing that they're upset with. Yeah. Now the cost of rents are coming up and everything else is like, stop it. <laughs> don't, You've already screwed up Austin. Can you leave Mexico City alone, please? Don't, don't, don't American my Mexico. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> what what do they call that? Uh, culture appropriation? Yes. Yeah. Cultural appropriation. Yes. I'm just going to move to Germany. I can apparently now legally change my gender once a year in Germany. I'm going to, I'm going to identify as a poor person so I don't have to pay taxes. 
<laughs> and you can eat insect meat over there. I know. It's, Have you heard that story? Yes. My, no, my son tells me this stuff. Yeah. Right? He, he, he's, he just, you know, and it's so funny, too, because we never instilled a lot of our values on our kids in, in terms of, you know, political views and those type of things. We kind of let them just figure it out on their own. It's so funny now because he's moved over there. He's getting more and more and more conservative. He's like, this is just stupid. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Just, it's just all the stuff that, that, I mean, the taxes are incredible. You know, he thought, he thought he was going to go over there. He's like, oh, everybody says it's so cheap to live in Germany. It's not because they charge you for everything. Yeah. Everything. And the older he gets, the smarter you're going to yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Right, yeah. Is it the VAT tax he has to worry about? Well, it's not just the VAT tax, but for instance, if you want to have a television in your house, there's a tax just to have the television. Now, if you want to connect it, there's another tax for that. But just to own a television, you have to pay a tax on your television every year. How many televisions do you have in your house? There's a there's like a $5 tax on every television you have in your house. Interesting. Yeah. And then you still have to pay for the box and everything else that you typically well, whatever, pay. Yeah, however, yeah, you, however yeah. you connect cable and all that. And then there's taxes on that. But yeah, it's just, you know, there's a tax on pretty much everything you want to do. There's a tax. So anyway. Um, Stories to get into this morning. We, we digress. Sorry. <laughs> Must be something in the coffee. This, I think we did this yesterday, too. We did. I think we digressed in the first segment. Not as badly today. Okay. Well. You still have six minutes left in the segment. All right. We can, we can burn that up. Danny, good morning. Welcome. Hey, morning. <laughs> Danny's over here. Just He's hiding. Chomping like, oh at the gosh. bit. He's just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I'm just happy we didn't have to worry about any voices this morning. So, I mean, you know, it's got to stay as much on my toes. <laughs> Janet Yellen's not here this morning. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. she'll troll us in a, in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, I should just do a Janet Yellen voice. <laughs> anyway. We could, we could have a Janet Yellen voice off. Yeah, we, we could probably not do that. Between that, you and I, our, I, our I, resident I think I think we could just... Impersonator, I think yes. everybody could all just be better off without that. So, <laughs> And without Janet. And without Janet. Yeah. <laughs> So what you got on the list this morning? What, what, uh, what's on your radar? Well, you stole my thunder this morning talking about Robin Hood. Well, but, no, you, know, you can pick up well, with Well, no, it. I, I think it is an interesting point. And now we are seeing a lot more layoffs coming. And, you know, Amazon's announced more layoffs. We're seeing Oracle, Microsoft. I mean, it, the, the buck Google. doesn't stop with just one company. It, no. is, it is many. And so we're seeing that contagion factor. So maybe this is where, you know, this is actually changing. Or is, mm. is the recession actually, actually a recession now? Well, that's what, the, you know, that's, what, that's what I was saying is like, you know, you're starting to see normally what you see is you see this type of activity before you have a negative print on GDP growth. It's interesting that we've got negative prints on GDP growth and you're just now starting to see this. So we're a little bit backwards on how things are going. And that's what I was saying this morning. You know, it's possible that and I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's going to happen, but it's possible that third quarter GDP could be slightly positive, you know, maybe a half percent growth, something like that, because, you know, the second quarter wasn't ultra negative yeah. it was negative but it wasn't like two percent negative so you know for the economy to you know have a little bit of a reflex bounce here of activity just you know as people kind of get drug out we're also going to go back to school so gonna be back to school shopping and that type of stuff so you see a little bit of a pickup in activity wouldn't be surprising of course and the media is going to come out and immediately say see third quarter's positive that means the first two quarters of negative growth weren't a recession and that's that will probably turn out to be the case but all this other impact that we've got from the Fed hiking rates and tightening monetary policy, companies laying off workers, uh, jobless, uh, job, as we said earlier, job openings dropping really sharp. Big, big, you know, one of the sharpest drops 
in the month of June and job openings on record, right? And you don't normally see that type of activity outside of a recession. So, but as I was saying, you know, there's a possibility you get this kind of this, this bounce of activity that'll be very fleeting as then as soon as you get this bounce of activity, all of a sudden, all these rate hikes, you know, 75 basis points and all these things that take, you know, nine months of lag to get there will start to show up in the economy. And, and not just that, right? It's also the, the extraction of monetary liquidity, M2, the year-over-year -year rate of change in monetary supply, the M2 money supply, has gone negative now. Uh, and not surprising, right? We, I gave Danny $5 trillion. He went out and spent it all, and I didn't give him any more money, so now he's broke. And the problem with Danny being broke now after getting $5 trillion is that the cost of everything that Danny bought has now gone up, and now he's broke with no cash and everything costs more, which means he buys less. And so that's the, the problem with this money supply issue is that that's also about a nine-month lag. That's going to show up you know, about September, October of this year is going to really start to impact the economy. So you know, all these kind of lagging things you know, give the potential here for a very short-term kind of reflex bounce in economic growth before you really get kind of the next leg. And that will also kind of tie up with where the Fed realizes they've made a policy mistake. They start to pause or pivot their, their rate hikes back to, to, to easing. And that's normally where you begin to see the recession really set in and the yield curves uninvert. So again, that's, you know, kind of a timing perspective thing. Again, it's very difficult to project these things out and have any accuracy and timing, all I'm saying is is that it's possible that you know we could see this little economic, you know, bounce, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "Say, see, the recession's over," and that's actually from a contrarian standpoint exactly what we need to see because I was I was saying earlier this year there were too many people calling a recession, too many people calling a bear market, and we need to get everybody back on that bullish side so the bear market can actually continue its process of uh you know cleansing things out as they say all right quick break we'll come back pick up with more of our stories and topics this morning get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com michael leewood's new article out on the website right now talking about in inflation recession it's all there for you uh realinvestmentadvice.com and also check out our fully digital research and trading platform simplevisor that's simplevisor.com it's off the website realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, uh... 
as we were just talking about uh, just for the break, you know, we're, we're definitely starting to see some, you know, signs of deterioration in the economy and, and, you know, the markets have been rallying despite this. And of course, that's not surprising as well, because, you know, we talked about how there's been so much negative sentiment. Markets were very oversold. We were due for a nice reflexive rally. That's what's been going on here. We took a little bit of profits on our recent trades yesterday um, as the markets are really kind of starting to, to, to get back to more overbought conditions. And this market needs to correct a bit. Um, and then we can put some trades back on potentially and kind of navigate this market. But there's certainly some downside risks still in the markets. We're definitely not past all this. Um, but this is going to have, you know, there, there's also a lot of other things that are going on with individuals um, that, that are happening in other areas of the markets that may lead to other consequences as well, like additional taxes that you weren't aware of. And one of those is changes to the SECURE Act. You know, and we keep having the SECURE Act, and now we've got SECURE Act 2.0 trying to work its way through Congress, which is going to try to set up emergency savings accounts for individuals. Because as I was saying earlier, great Wall Street Journal out today talking about how the upper class the upper middle class is getting squeezed. And what's important about that article is looking at the distribution of incomes and debt by quintiles. Oh, sorry, by decile. No, quintiles. And as you look at this, you'll see the top 20% of income earners, they have a lot of income relative to the bottom 80%. And then they have very little debt versus the bottom 80%, which are just chock full of debt. And so small changes to things that occur, you know, really impact those families very much. And this is why the average savings, you know, even in this study by the Wall Street Journal is like $250 to $500 for emergency savings. And so Secure Act 2.0 wants to change that by setting up a program. There's a couple of different versions out right now where one will say um, you can save 3% of your money in an account and then you can take out $1,000 of it when you need it. The other one, which is terrible, it would allow you to tap your 401k plan for $1,000 when you need it for emergencies. And that just that's just a really bad idea because now everybody will just use their 401k plan as a, as a piggy bank and they'll have no retirement. The whole point of a retirement plan is to have something in retirement and we keep rating it. <laughs> from one thing after another, right? Uh, just during the, the pandemic, we opened up the rules to allow you to take money out of your 401k plan. Hey, if you needed it, you needed it, right? It's just, but if, you know, we keep allowing these things to occur, which keep impacting, you know, these 401k retirement plans, which are supposed to be there. You know, you can't raid your pension plan at work. You're supposed to not be able to raid your 401k plan, but we keep allowing people to do it. But now there's also changes coming down the pike, um, Danny, with the SECURE Act, where people that were taking distributions out of IRAs, there wasn't a time period to have to pay it back. Now, apparently, now you have to pay it back. What's, well, what's well, going not, on with it's that? It's not necessarily pay it back. So historically, when somebody passes, and it's a non-spousal IRA right. heir. So Got if it. you die and you, the funds go to your wife or your husband, then no big deal. They're going to assume that account just like it's their own. But if you pass and it goes to your children or a family member or friend, at this point, there historically has been, you know, we call it the stretch IRA, but there were always distributions that you had to take each and every year, depending on if somebody had already started their required minimum distribution, which essentially the RMD or required minimum distribution is when somebody is 72 years of age, they have to start taking out a set amount based on the December 31st balance of the prior year and their age. So there's a formula. And now, pay taxes. Correct. And and which is what I, mean, I didn't, And I misspoke. I said payback. I meant pay taxes. Yeah. 
So, so essentially what they did was they said, okay, instead of you being able to pay it back over your lifetime, now you have a 10 year window. Well, this 10 year window, what they interpreted. So here's the, here's the way about any of these, any of this legislation, they're going to say one thing, then they have to go get all the attorneys to interpret it. And based on the time frame and what they do, and then the IRS will issue guidance and they'll say, Hey, here's what this really means. Because of course it's, you know, 69 pages and that's a small bill. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, you've got to understand with the verbiage and the, the attorney speak and all that good stuff. So they said initially in May 2021, said, hey, you have 10 years, meaning you could wait all the way until your 10th year, make one large distribution, no big deal, no set schedule. Well, now they're coming back, and that's of the guidance that they issued just this year, saying, hey, that's not going to be the case. You're going to have to start taking it on a, a formula once again and start taking these distributions if you are a non-spousal beneficiary um, and you have this 10-year window. So this can be problematic for some people because we don't know if they're going to come back and say, hey, guys, uh, don't worry about it. We said one thing. We meant another. No big deal. Um, or you're going to have to go file a form 5329. Go ahead and take that distribution saying you, you made an error, didn't take it the prior year, and go on down the road and, and ask for forgiveness. And you, you can do that. But um, you know, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out, Lance, because they said one thing, now they're doing another. And, you know, I think we're gonna have to wait, you know, throughout the end of the year to get a little bit more guidance on this, because this can be problematic for people with taxes. Um, and, you know, switching it in the middle of the game, switching the rules, it's kind of frustrating, um, especially once we're, we're switching them already one time, and now they're going to do it again. So without actual legislation. So I think we'll see more and more of this coming. Um, you know, there's actually talks of more secure acts or something very, very similar, even pushing back the uh, required minimum distribution age. Because before the Secure Act, it was 70 and a half. They, they raised it to 72. Now they're talking about even raising it to 75. You know, at this point, you know, how many people are going to have funds in retirement accounts anyways, as we're seeing, you know, the leakage, like you were talking about earlier, Lance, that everybody has access. You can tap it. You could have tapped it during the pandemic and pulled funds out and, and then given you a three-year window to pay them back. Um, and the problem with that was that people a lot of times did that just to cover up, you know, bad or, or, or problematic behavior earlier. And now they're stuck really in a bind. And now they're saying, well, shoot, we need to get these funds because it's rich, really expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, bills have gone up. I need it for just to pay my bills. And that's the issues because now somebody actually gets to retirement and they don't, they don't have the funds. And it's, you know, I read an article a while back that says, well, I'm not ever going to retire. No big deal. You know, I'm going to continue to work forever because people feel that way because you, you're always able to tap these funds. Mm -hmm. And then you get down to it and you say, hey, I don't have the funds to retire at all. I'm just not going to. But we know that's not the case. People typically retire much earlier than they anticipate. Retirement age is 62. Um, I think that, you know, it, life happens. Yeah. You know, we get through a, a pandemic or you, you get laid off. We get in a recession or a lot of times people are quitting jobs to take care of a loved one. So retirement age is 62. I'm 57. That's five years. So yeah, there you go, Danny. Five years. That's oh, what, that's I said that's got. for most people, Lance. <laughs> Listen, that's the average, okay? We know how averages work. I know. But it is true. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, but again, you know, and we talked about this before, a lot of people get into retirement and they go, oh, I'm going to retire. And so they retire for a couple of years and they figure out that, 
between Social Security cost of living and what little money they saved up for retirement, they've got to go back to work. And, and we see a lot. And then, and then again, as we've talked about before, you know, one of the most important things of your fiscal health in retirement is your physical health in, right. in retirement. And, you know, we don't talk nearly enough about this. And but, you know, we have, you know, a problem in America that we don't eat well, we don't take care of ourselves. And, and you know, a lot of retirees, the average cost now, I saw a study the other day is, is running up to between three hundred and three hundred fifty thousand dollars for health care in retirement. And that comes, unfortunately, that comes at the last, you know, kind of that last stage of life where you're spending a lot more time in the hospital. You get diagnosed with some illness of some sort. Um, you know, just your health is starting to fail on multiple on multiple levels, and you're starting to really need a lot of, of capital for that. And this is why we talk about long term disability, you know, long term uh, care care policies and those type of things uh, to help with that because that can be such an onerous expense. It can wipe out a family's financial wealth dealing with a health care crisis in retirement. And this is why a lot of people simply just have to go back to work. They just don't literally have the funds available to pay for healthcare costs. Well, that's right. I mean, so in, in retirement, it's kind of a, an interesting way to, to talk about it. Michael Blanchett, he worked for Morningstar for a long time, mm -hmm. really good retirement researcher, calls it the retirement smile. So you, you retire and you spend a lot more. Yep. So your expenses are high, you're checking off bucket list items, you're traveling, and then inevitably it starts to decline over time. And then you get those healthcare expenses, so it comes way back up at the mm -hmm. end of life. And it's just it's just how it works. And I see it time and time again. I mean, it's interesting right now we talk about you know behavior behaviors changing, people changing habits, what they were doing. Um, you talked about the upper middle class being squeezed. And you know, we're seeing people stopping traveling, we're seeing people changing their eating out habits. Um, as things become to get more expensive. Mm -hmm. So inevitably right now, people are trying to bring those expenses down, but you know, we're just changing. We, we may not be spending or going out as much, but you may still be spending the same amount. Right, no, that's, that, no that's, that's what you're seeing now. And again, we see this in the retail sales data, and we've talked about this before, is that you know, there's an article out the other day talking about the consumer spending is, you know, take a look at personal consumption expenditures, right? Mm -hmm. Personal consumption expenditures are still very strong. Uh, no sign of recession because people are still spending money. Well, yeah, they're still spending, uh, to Danny's point, they're still spending a lot of money. They're not buying as much, but they're still spending a lot of money. And this is because of the fact that everything costs more. And, and so, and we measure everything in dollar sales. So look, if you're spending $60 to fill up your gas tank, you're still buying the same amount of gas when you were spending 40 to do the same thing, right? You're not buying more stuff, you're just paying more for it. And that gets reflected in what we think or what appears to be better retail sales number. But if that's the case, then why is it that inventories are surging at Walmart? Why is Walmart talking about slower foot traffic? Why is Amazon laying off 100,000 employees? That tells you what's really going on on the actual volume side of the transactions. All right, quick break. We'll be back. The Ray Rapham Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. CBS out this morning uh, announcing, well, actually beating second quarter earnings and raising full year guidance. Uh, stocks trading up nicely this morning. Uh, it's one of our long-term core holdings in our portfolios. Love this company. Um, AMD reported earnings yesterday. A little bit soft on guidance. That stock will be down just a, a smidge this morning as well. Um, semiconductors kind of been all over the place uh, as of late. Different uh, impacts. Intel had a terrible announcement. Um, AMD's beat, beat earnings estimates but and revenues. But again, soft guidance for the end of the year. Again, still problems with semiconductor availability, those type of things. Um, Fed, the Fed's James Bullard uh, out this morning also talking about that they, he wants to hike interest rates to 3.75 to 4%. We're currently at 2.25. And, you know, that, of course, is a, you know, almost a doubling of the rates from here. That'll certainly have an impact on consumer spending, variable credit card debt rates, those type of things. It's uh, certainly going to impact the economy as well. And that's what I was talking about, you know, very likely all the recession talk now is a little bit premature. It's probably coming in the first quarter of next year as these more aggressive Fed rate hikes impact the economy and the markets. And, and of course, James Bullard, you know, towing the company line right now saying, oh, yeah, we can uh, achieve a soft landing, not have a recession and hike rates to 4% from zero. Yeah, uh, we'll see how that works and out for you. And get inflation back to 2%. And, and get inflation back to 2%. So, yeah, we'll see how that works out for you, but just something to pay attention to. But speaking about, um, you know, higher rates on variable credit card debts and, you know, those type of things, which is impacting consumers at home, as we said, you know, Equifax certainly isn't helping the situation either. No. So earlier during the year, they provided inaccurate information to uh, to retailers or like J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Ally Bank. Uh, if you're going to go get a loan or credit card, they were either telling, you know, it could be off by just a little bit, or maybe you had uh, no credit, but you actually had a 700 credit score or vice versa. And so talk about a frustrating scenario to deal with. And they said, don't worry about it, though. All the information in the consumer report was still there. And that was accurate. Yeah. But the numbers. So the problem is, is that most of these, you know, most of the time when we go do credit, it's, it's basically an algorithm, and they're going to look at, you know, you have a software. You don't have human eyes typically looking at it unless that's when you're going to, you're going to dive into the consumer report. Right. But you may say, hey, I have a great credit score, but for some reason I was declined. Well, you may have been declined because they just reported you didn't have any. So at that point, there's no need for a human to look at that and say, hey, you know what? We're, we're just going to go ahead and move yeah. on. You don't fit our criteria. And so this could be a big deal. I don't know how they're going to. You know, what's the remedi remediation here on something like this? Well, you know, it's, it's a couple of things, too. It's like, for instance, if you subscribe to, say, Credit Karma, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep a track of my credit score. And, th and th I think that's a fine tool. Nothing wrong with it. Um, but that's not the credit score that banks use to give you a mortgage. 
right? There's very there's variations of the credit score, and and what they use is the is the number eight credit score, which has you know pulls in any late payments you have or any um, you know disputes over bills that may not be reflected in your pri- in, in your credit karma score. So you may look at your credit karma score and go, wow, I've got eight forty credit, you know, whatever. You say I, I'm an excellent credit. And then you find out that there's, you know, a, a dispute on a bill and you don't know that. But until you start to go apply for a mortgage, you get turned down. And that's because that score is a 710 and the banks require a 750 or whatever it is to give you a mortgage. Right. So there's all these other factors that weigh into this that just monitoring your credit score online through something like a credit karma isn't very good. You need to go online to all three agencies. And there's a couple of services that'll do this for you. And they'll, they'll monitor your, your actual credit reports. But, but once or twice a year, you know, at least once a year, you need to download your full credit report and look at all your different credit scores because the ones that matter, auto loans, um, you know, more, get a mortgage for your house, those type of things, that's not reflected necessarily the same as your top line credit score. So again, and you know, they can be very different things. And again, so this this problem with Equifax and this reporting, it may not show up in your top score, but whatever they reported might have been in one of the lower scores. And all of a sudden you get denied for your house. And you're going, hey, but my credit karma scores 810. Why did I get turned down? Well, you've got this issue on your credit score. That's not me. So you got to go through the whole process of disputing it, you know, get it taken care of, get it taken off your credit. It's a, it's a very laborious test. I had to fight a medical bill that wasn't mine. Oh, I've been doing that, that for my knee from a year ago. I've, I've yeah. got like three or four things that just popped up. I'm like, no. Uh-uh. Yeah. And, and then there's a couple of misnomers too, as well. There's, there's a couple of mis, you know, you know, people say, well, medical bills aren't reported on your credit. Yeah, they are. Uh, especially if they if you don't pay them. And, you know, so I had a, I had a, I had two medical bills that were not paid. They didn't belong to me. Same, same name didn't belong to me and I had to it took me four months to fight them right to get it to get it off my credit score so it's it's something again it's, you need to monitor your credit score and what's going on because today with so much of your information just flying around the internet um, you know every time you log in somewhere what's your social security number what's your email password what's this what's that I mean there's so much of your personal data flying around out there and again we do a lot of things for convenience right we put our credit cards on our phones and we're tapping them everywhere we go and you know, and never ever go to a gas station, plug your debit card into a to a, a gas pump. gas pump. Thank you, and plug in your pin number because there's people that put readers up there that will read your card number and your pin. Well, they, that, and, and they can get know. that information from your credit card as well. But I make exactly. arguments frequently that hey, you shouldn't be using that debit card anyways. If you can use a credit card, paid off on a, a monthly basis you're going to be in a much better situation because yep. not only from a fraud perspective, if somebody goes and, and they, they hack your, they get your information, your credit card, they're using the bank's information or using the bank's money. Yep. You're going to be able to dispute it. They're going to give you the money back um, versus if they're in your checking account, you're trying to pay bills and the account is frozen. Now that's a totally different scenario. Yep. So using a credit card can actually be a really good thing in that aspect because you're have a little bit additional protection um, also, you're historically going to get more in, in the form of re- rewards as well. So if you use it properly. If, yeah, I'd say if you use it properly. And that's the thing. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have good you know, fiscal habits of paying stuff off on time, being diligent, those type of things, if you don't, don't do that, right? I, I, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying, but also know a lot of people, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll pay it off next. Well, excuse me, I'll pay it off next month. And next month comes and the refrigerator goes out. Okay, I'll pay it off next Correct. month. 
and then something else happens and then you're racking up debt on top of you know interest payments on top of your debt and and then you start getting behind on payments and that's how people get look this is why Dave Ramsey has 80 million people that listen to him, right? That's right. Because people get in these credit card traps thinking they're going to do this. Oh, I'm going to just pay off my credit card and it'll be, I'll be fine. And then it's just one thing leads to another. And it's called life. You know, life happens. So as long as you, you're fiscally responsible, Danny's absolutely right. Well, if, that's, that's right. But, I mean, make because, a good, but make a good self-assessment of your own abilities. Yeah, you know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And if you know, okay, I have money in, a, in an emergency fund, I have that financial vulnerability cushion, you know what? I'm okay because I'm going to pay this off on a regular basis. And if life happens, something gets in the way, I'm going to go to these extra reserves. Great. But with the understanding, you're going to pay that off each and every month. That's going to be the thing. I mean, that's how we travel. We use the rewards. Yeah. You know I mean? Anytime we do something, it's uh, it all adds up. So I try to pay the yeah, majority I mean, of our bills. With the, with, the, with the Ratliff Bunch, you've got to book an entire flight, you know, just for your family. <laughs> I mean, oh, you, yeah. you definitely need the rewards. Yeah, we're... Yeah, there was a great comedian. There was a guy on the. He was on. Uh, it was a clip from a comedian, and you know he's up on stage and and he asked the the lady in the stage. She's from the stage. She's mouthing off. She's heckling him in the crowd. And he goes. She goes. He goes. So you just broke up with your boyfriend, and you said, why did you break up with your boyfriend? It's I like, saw well, this. So yeah, he wasn't doing anything. Well, what what does he do? He says he works in the ER, and he's, like, he's a so, hero. So you broke up with a hero, right? Yeah. And then he gets, he goes through this. So he's like, well, what do you want to do when he came home from being in the ER all day? Yeah, he needed to do more with his life. And so then he asks me, well, what do you do? She goes, I work for American Airlines. He's like, where's my bags? <laughs> and then the best part of it was he finally gets around to it. He thinks he's a, she's the stewardess. And he finally asks her, well, what do you do for American Airlines? She goes, I work in the baggage department. And so, <laughs> you know, this just went downhill. He said, I know but, how you treat stuff. <laughs> exactly. So... But the point about this is, is that, you know, airlines need your help, um, you know, as, as they're not getting it from me. I mean, we had a discussion. Dude, it that, is um, number terrible. one. It's way too expensive. Number two, all the horror stories, people getting, you know, flights delayed, you know, missing connecting flights. I mean, I, I, I'm Dude, not going to deal it, with it. it. My 13 hour trip to Italy took 24 hours, actually yeah. almost 25 to get there because we got laid over. We, we, we were 30 minutes late getting into Paris. Uh, they took us to the wrong gate. We had a 45-minute connection window, so we had to walk all the way across the other side of the terminal, get back to the international, go back through security again because they dropped us off on the domestic oh, side. Oh man! And then we got laid up for 12 hours, and they and they did give us a 15 a 15 euro gift certificate to get food for 12 hours to feed five people. Well, hey, listen, so you and, know and, and, it was very helpful. Thank you. And my five people, the three little ones, are much younger, so there's not a, the there's not enough they could give me to have a 12-hour layover with three little yeah, ones. Yeah, I mean. It's it's I don't know what's going on with airlines, but uh, well, I do know what's going on with airlines. They have a tremendous amount of problems with pilots not showing up to work and staff not wanting to work. And it's well, it's still staffing from from layoffs or people who, you know, switch careers because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, nobody was flying. I mean, I I get the struggles, but, you know, they've got to figure it out before they they try to book. You know, they're they're certainly putting profit over, you know, customer service. That's the problem. So we've made a decision like, well, we had some things planned to see family. We're like. Eh, probably not going to do that this year. I read, no, I read about actually a very good article too, is that they're putting profits over safety. A lot of the mechanics are now starting to complain that the, you know, they're too short staffed on mechanics and yeah. a lot of the stuff that needs to be done to keep planes in the air, kind of an important thing, um, are potentially getting overlooked. So well, that's, know, that's, that's when problem. it gets really bad. Yeah. Of course, that also goes to that flight in North Carolina. We talked about it yesterday. A pilot mysteriously just jumped out of the airplane. Uh, in North Carolina, 
and new details have come out, the, the right front wheel of the plane had fallen off and they were gonna have to make an emergency landing. They still don't know why the, the co-pilot just jumped out of the airplane in mid-flight. Uh, maybe a DB Cooper? No, they found the body. No, they uh, 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 a resident had the body land in their backyard. So, oh man, you know. But yeah, so that's no mid-flight failures. Not a great thing. Anyway, wrap up the show. Get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Markets are going to open up a little bit this morning. We'll see if we can hold on to the gains today as we continue to kind of work on this uh, rally from July. Can we sustain it in August? That's the big question. Of course, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Such questions, comments, check out Simplevisor, our fully digital platform. Michael Leibowitz's new article is out. And of course, subscribe to our weekly newsletter and our daily commentary. So much stuff there. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. Ben Scully.